Welcome to the DECCC Youth Podcast. This podcast is the conclusion of Greg's sermon series, Light and Momentary, A Study of Suffering, and features teaching on the life of the Christian in the past, the present, and the future. So, as Thompson said, this week we're actually finishing up my series on suffering and what it's like to suffer in the world. It's called Light and Momentary. Um, and for those of you who have been here for a lot of the other sermons, a lot of this is going to be review. Um, hopefully, we're, we're, the goal is to tie it together today. Um, all the things we've learned, and you'll hear a lot of things repeated. And um, our scripture reading, if you uh, have been coming and maybe even memorizing, I've asked you to memorize a pretty big chunk of Second Corinthians chapter 4. And that's actually where we're ending up today. Um, we've gone through a lot of different ideas, thought about a lot of different things, and studied a lot about this topic. And hopefully, you know, I've been saying every week, hopefully as we re- read that passage every week, you're understanding more and more exactly what he's saying in that passage. And so hopefully now that we've arrived here, we're actually going to go through this passage and see all the things we've talked about um, before. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Sheila. <laughs> um, and see all the things that uh, we've seen before and kind of review them and tie them all together. And so we can say, you know, how, how do we think about suffering? Well, how do we understand the world? Um, so, a question, uh, question for you. It is not rhetorical, so you can feel free to answer your or raise your hand. Um, how many of you are perfectly happy today? Guys are such liars. <laughs> um, even if I if, if I just said happy, probably a lot more would have raised your hands, right? Yes. Yeah. You're probably liars too. But um, you know, I think it's really hard for us in church to admit a lot of times that we're not happy um, about what's going on. When really, you know, saying perfectly happy kind of specified it a little bit, I don't think any of us are perfectly happy with what's going on in our lives right now. I know me today, I'm very tired. I am really tired. And I've had a lot of disappointments in the past couple weeks, and it's been really hard. And so I want to talk about that. How do we think about our Christian life? Because... Sometimes you read books and stuff and you'll hear people talk about the, the normal Christian life or the victorious Christian life or whatever. So we're going to talk about in this passage here um, the Christian life, past, present, and future. Um, what's happened in our lives in the past? What, what is it supposed to be like now? And what will it be in the future? And hopefully, again, we'll see all those things. I should want to read uh, a much longer spa- passage. I didn't want to put the whole thing in the bulletin because it's quite lengthy. But if you have your Bibles open still, we're going to start in um, in Second Corinthians 4, verse 6, and go all the way to 5, 9. Um, so I'll read it. And then um, there isn't you know any slides today or anything because... We're tying things together, and I want you to be looking at the Bible, seeing what I'm saying, and seeing how it all fits in, because hopefully I'm not just making this up, you know. I, mean, I want you to be able to see how your understanding of this passage is much different than it was before, hopefully. So, starting in chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, 
struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to, with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now we're in chapter 5, verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So again, that was a pretty big section, but um, I'm basically going to split it up into to three main sections. In the first one, uh, I just want us to think for a minute on chapter 4, verse 6. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now that's a really long sentence, <laughs> and there's kind of a lot of prepositions in there. But um, think back to creation. Um, we have this little book at home. It's uh, God's Story Bible for me, or something like that, right? Something like that. Let's have it up in the nursery. And Christian loves to read the first couple pages. He's always like, "I want to read creation," and like every day he wants to read the beginning part. And I don't really know why. <laughs> He just really likes the whole light and dark thing. But it's, it's talking about creation. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Okay, think back to that. God says, Let there be light. There's nothing, and then there's light. And he creates all this stuff with the word of his mouth. He does that. And then what does this say? The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. So what's this saying? This is, the past, the Christian life in the past, when we became Christians. This is the miracle of salvation. And it compares us, knowing God, having that light turned on in our hearts to God saying, let there be light, and creating the world. He created a world with his word, and he created in us new life. And that is a miracle. And that is, it's what Paul is saying. He said, understand that what has happened in your hearts is a miracle. You were dead, and you are alive. Do not forget that. And in my life, personally, I, I shared some before what happened in my life. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my parents are Christians. We went to church and all this stuff. But I didn't really ever buy into a lot of it. You know, I prayed a prayer when I was like seven. 
Because there's a lot of pressure to do that <laughs> where I live. Like, everyone is a Christian. And everyone goes to church. And so I did that, but I de- definitely didn't know Jesus at all. And, um, you know, I'm in junior high, and I stopped even believing in God at all. Um, just because it's easier that way to do the things that I want. And so I, I just lived however I wanted. And one day, <laughs> you know, this is really not the moment of my salvation, but God is starting to turn on that light. I just thought to myself, Greg, you're really weird. Because <laughs> I was weird. And, and I was like, I, I want to be different than I am, um, but I don't understand how. And I, I managed to, that summer, meet a lot of people who really lived out their faith, and I saw it for the first time in my life that um, knowing Jesus is more than just saying, hey, I believe in Jesus, um, that he actually changes people. And that was when the light turned on for me. And, again, I don't really know how to explain it perfectly, but understand that the Christian life, the past, this is a miracle. This is a huge change. That that let there be light moment happened in each of our hearts. If we are here today and we are Christians, there was a moment that God said, let there be light, and there was light in your heart. And it changed you forever. How did it change you? said, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Again, that's kind of the complicated part of the sentence here. But here's what it's saying. I had this friend um, in high school. It's a little weird. And she wanted these cool-looking glasses, um, you know, kind of like the, the darker frames. and you know, They were getting really popular then. But she didn't need glasses. Um, so she just <laughs> put them on anyway. She had frames, but there was no lens in them. And I, I know, this is really weird, right? <laughs> but she would wear them, and people wouldn't notice because they're glasses. You know, people aren't like, hey, there's no glasses in those, you know? But she wore them, but there was no difference because she didn't really need glasses. She just wore the frames. And I think a lot of times we think about life with Jesus that way. It's just kind of that we put the Jesus frames on, but we're not changing our viewpoint on anything. What this is saying here is when your heart, when light came in your heart, you put on Jesus glasses. You see the world now instead of just like now. You put on these glasses and you see the world through Jesus. You see with eternal eyes, as we talked about in the past weeks. He changes. It says, to give us the light of knowledge and the glory of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Okay? So, we talked about this before. Um, one of the big questions we talked about early on was, you know, the big question people have about suffering. Why do, why do good things, or bad things happen to good people? And I kind of turned it around. It, why do good things happen to bad people? Because that's really the question of the Bible. Um, now, I was a bad person. I can tell you that for sure. Um, and yet God turned on my heart. He tur- flipped that switch. He changed it. And what happened? I put on those glasses. This is another review. Remember we talked about how, how can we have joy in suffering? We can have joy in suffering because of the hope of our salvation. We talked about what do those words mean? What does joy mean? And I said joy is kind of a settled feeling, biblical joy, is a settled feeling of peace and happiness that comes from seeing the world through the lens of Jesus. It's having eternal perspective. And this is what this verse is talking about. God flips on our hearts, he gives us these Jesus glasses, and we see the world differently. So are we happy, go lucky all the time? Are we perfectly happy? Evidently, Jesse and Ellen are. <laughs> Good for them. But the rest of us, 
we can, we can have joy, not necessarily happiness all the time. But we can have joy because we are wearing these glasses. They show us the truth of the things that are happening in our lives. They let us back up our viewpoint and not just see the thing that's happening right now or this week or this month that's been so bad for me, but to look at my life in the span of eternity and see how is this working because I'm looking through Jesus and seeing um, the glory of God. Uh, now, the other thing that uh, we're talking about this uh, before, one of the first sermons I did it was called um, Suffering Messiah for a Suffering World. Was one of the first ones I gave, and that directly relates here too. It says he wants to give us the night light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, and that's exactly what I talked about that first week. How do we make sense of what happens in this world? Because there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in this world. When we first started, it's like a week or two weeks after the earthquake happened in Haiti. Think and and you know everyone's wondering what's going on. Why does this stuff have to happen? Well, how do we how do we understand? We look in the face of Christ, and that is the answer. We question God. We want to know, God, what are you doing? He says, look into the face of Jesus, because he is the answer. He is the pinnacle, the center of history. And if you question me, that's fine. But just look at what it cost me to do this, to end suffering. What did it cost me? Now look at your life. You know, If I had to do this, if this was my plan, and this is how much it cost me, Let's put this in perspective here. And so, how do we make sense of suffering in the world? By looking at the face of Christ. Putting on those Jesus glasses and seeing the world with eternal perspective. And that's, you know, I just packed a lot of meaning into this. But this is the Christian life in the past. When God switched on your heart, whether you knew it or not, all those things happened. (laughs) And whether or not you do this every day, and you put on those Jesus glasses and see it that way all the time, that was God's plan. When your heart switched on and light opened up in your heart, all those things happened. Your perspective changed. You were a new person. You put on, take off the old man, put on the new man, the Bible says. All those things happened. Well, that leads us to now, the present. Um, This is the section where it says, starting in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay are really ugly. And I'm I'm not saying I'm really ugly, (laughs) but this is what it's saying here. Jars of clay are very plain. Um, They're not, you know, these, like, Ming vases from China, you know, like these really pretty things. They They were all about use, and they were pretty ugly, and they'd get cracked, and people would you know, glue them back together and all this stuff. And he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay in ourselves. We are the jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. What that means is that we're clay pots. And this is is where I think it gets difficult. And sometimes I wonder, well, why God, when we become Christians, don't you just make us perfect? You know, like, just take the sin out now instead of waiting until later because that would sure make me feel a whole lot better about what's going on. And it would be nice if everything went right for me too. And, you know, there are people who say that, basically, about the Christian life. You become a Christian and God will make you happy and successful. And that, it's a lie. Um, It's not that way. Why? Why does God leave us as clay pots? Because I think if immediately we become happy and successful, um, people look at us and say, wow, look how amazing... April is. 
Look, she is such an amazing person. I could never be that amazing. You know? And that's not what happens. What happens to us now is that we are, in a lot of ways, the same. You know, that life's turned on, but things change about us, but we're not perfect. So instead, people look, instead of saying, look at that amazing person, they say, look at that amazing God. We have this all-surpassing power in Jars of Clay to show that the power is not from us, but from God. That's what it's about. So he doesn't take this away. And, and Paul goes on to, to talk about this. And basically he says, it's normal for Christians to get hurt. Um, it says this several times. You know, If you desire to live a godly life in Jesus, you will be persecuted. Jesus said that several times too. He said it's normal for people to get hurt, and it's okay. In this whole section here, basically he ends, he says, you know what, we, are, we have it bad, but... Because of that, because we've remained true to Jesus, our witness has actually increased. You know, he's saying all this stuff. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Well, just take the first part of all those, you know, and it, it's pretty bad. We're crushed. We're persecuted. We're destroyed. Uh, we're struck down. And if you just take that side, you're like, man, Paul, that really stinks for you. But what does he say? He's looking through the lens of Jesus and he says, we are crushed, uh, we are hard-pressed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. There's always that second part where he says, you know what? This is what the Christian life is, that this happens, but it's okay. It is okay when this happens. And and, uh, the reason it's this way is, going back to review what we said again, what is suffering? In the Bible, you know, we kind of think of suffering as, could be, you know, a lot of things. But in the Bible, basically what it tells us suffering is, is that Adam and Eve sinned, and the world was cursed. And everything, all of the fallout from that, that is suffering. So, the fact that I'm insanely tired this morning is suffering. The, the fact that, you know, maybe as I get older, I'll start to have a lot of back pain. <laughs> you know, that's suffering. And it's also people in other countries who are persecuted for what happens. It's all those things. All those things that fall apart when our relationships fall apart and I fight with my wife or I get angry at my children. All those things are suffering. You know? All those things are a result of the brokenness of the world. And we can't change that. But things have changed inside of us. And that's what makes the difference. That's what makes a huge difference. Um, It says... We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So, why? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's what I'm saying. We're always carrying around this, this death, this suffering. Christians suffer. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in how we respond, in how we act, and in who we are. Because that treasure is in us, in the jars of clay. Um, I guess think about it as a as we we're going to move on to um, the future. But we talked about hope in the past, and uh, I heard a, a great sermon on this topic. And basically, it was, he said that we live a life as Christians of hurting hope, and I think that's so true. You know, sometimes things go good for us, sometimes things go bad. It's just like everyone else in the world. Sometimes things work out, sometimes they don't. But what's different? 
that we have hope. We reveal the life of Jesus in our bodies. And he goes on to say, um, this, this section at the end, it says, Therefore do we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This is kind of like, um, I remember when I was little, I had these pants. I think all little kids have these pants <laughs> where they, you don't really have a button or, uh, or a belt or anything. They're just really elasticy. You know those? And I feel like whenever kids wear these too, they're like pulled up to here and their ankles show. Um, Christian does this sometimes. He'll like pull them up really high and he looks like a dork. But um, there's these elastic pants. But the problem with the elastic pants is after a while, like this doesn't ha- happen to little kids too much, I guess, unless you happen for a really long time but after a while the elastic you stretch it out a lot and it doesn't go back really you know it, and you feel like you're losing weight and so I guess that's good but really the pants are just falling apart right because the elastic is stretching and it doesn't go back anymore and this is what Paul's saying this about our lives basically he says outwardly we're wasting away that elastic it's not bouncing back like it used to and this is our life you know it's kind of depressing but I think we've probably all heard that funny quote where someone say, you know, we each die a little more each day. Um, yeah, it's a little depressing, but it's true. That's what Paul's saying here. We're all dying a little more each day. We're outwardly, we're wasting away. But what's on the inside? That's, that's the crazy part here of the Christian life, of knowing Christ. Outwardly, you're wasting away. Inwardly, you're growing and growing and growing. Uh, and sometimes maybe it doesn't feel like it, but you are growing. You are full of life. Even on the outside, you could look, be dying. You could be full of death. On the inside, you're full of life. And that is amazing. So, we're thinking about this, this normal Christian life. What is normal for a Christian life? Paul's talking about it here. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. That's what it's about. It's about living through this curse, through this suffering, and having that inner strength not of yourself, though. It's not working it up and saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to be strong. It, it makes it very clear. It says, you are jars of clay. God has the glory. God has the strength. God has the power. And that's what the normal Christian life is about. So, when we're, we're looking for the strength in this, um, I guess this is Palm Sunday, obviously. And, um, honestly, to be perfectly honest, I kind of always felt that Palm Sunday is kind of a lame holiday because when you look at all the things that happen in the Bible, like, yeah, they, they do the palm branches and they're like, Jesus, uh, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, and then turn against him. The rest of the week doesn't go so well for him. And we celebrate this time when people worship Jesus and then turn against him. Maybe we celebrate this time because we like to do the same thing. You ever looked in your heart and thought about that? where we say, we come to church and we put on our nice clothes and we paint our pots and we say, we worship you, Jesus. We love you so much. And then we just turn away from him. We forsake him. And the thing about this holiday, if you want to call it a holiday, is that it's not about Palm Sunday. Like I said, Palm Sunday is a really lame holiday. It's about the Easter. It's about what happens after that. 
What happens? Where does all this strength come from? Where does all this power come from? Is it so great because we're worshipping Jesus? No, it is so great because he resurrected. He rose again. And look in chapter 5 as we go ahead to the future of the Christian life. And I just call it home. Um, when we think about what is the future of our Christian life, um, five, chapter 5, verse 1. Now we know if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Um, and then moving, moving ahead a little, it says, We do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's amazing. Go back a little bit. Um, in uh, 4.13 it says, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. What do we believe? He tells us what we believe, what we speak about here. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. That's what he says. What do we believe? What do we speak? What do we have hope in? You know, it's talking about this hope in, in this third section here. It's this. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And I cannot say it enough. I will never be able to say it enough that Jesus is the point in the center of history. It's what it's all about. And none of this, none of this makes sense if he did not rise again, if he did not raise from the grave. And Palm Sunday is great, but Easter is the point. And, and we forget Easter. Um, I actually read a study this past week about this. Uh, people did a survey and asked Christians, you know, what do you think about Easter? What's the point of Easter? And most people, I think it's only like 20% of Christians connect Easter with the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and I don't say that to be like, now we can all be like, oh, those stupid people. Like, in your heart, how do you, do you do that? Do I do that? Is it really about the resurrection of Jesus? Or are we going to hide little eggs for our kids and play happy and come to church and sing because he lives and not live ourselves. You know? This is where it comes to, to the heart. Like, this is looking at the world through Jesus' eyes. Paul says, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we as Christians are supposed to be, to be pitied above everyone else because nothing makes sense if he didn't do that. Nothing at all makes sense. And everything makes sense if he did. And so this is kind of a big gamble. We're putting it all on the table and saying, you know what, Jesus? If I believe this, I'm putting it all out here because if this didn't happen, then, then I'm just stupid. Um, but we do believe this. We have faith. And it says, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And it's all about the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about hope before. And that's what we're talking about in this third section, this thing we're longing for in the future of our Christian life, to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We just said that hope, um, the definition I gave, is holding on for the ultimate, ultimate fulfillment of what we already have. God flipped on that light in our hearts. He gave us the Jesus glasses. He changed our lives. He put that glory inside the jars of clay. But it's not full yet. It's not complete um, we're longing for that fulfillment. And it actually talks about this, this inwardly renewed thing. What, is, what does it actually mean? If you look in um, chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So what does this mean? 
It's kind of quiet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, what does this mean? The spirit is a deposit. And really the best way to understand this and to think about this, and it's going to sound a little funny maybe to you, but is that it's the spirit, the Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to us. Um, and that's really the best example you can have for it, for it is, is God's deposit. He says, look, I give you this deposit. You know, if you have gone to college, you had to pay a room deposit or whatever. And um, he says, I'm giving you this deposit as a guarantee that I will fully do this um, in your life. It's like this engagement ring. I promise you I will return. I will take you home. And that's what this, the Spirit is for us. Um, he's com- God's committed to live with us through all of this. And this is what's so important about the Spirit, about this engagement ring, if you will, is that it's really difficult, you know, and it is hard to live in this world sometimes. And God says, I give you this ring so that you know I am with you through this. And, you know, the Spirit obviously means more than just being a deposit, and we don't have time to go into all of that, but it's, it's God's vow, His promise that He will return. He is with us through it all. And so in the future, it says, we long to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. We long to be with the Lord. And when I was thinking about this idea of home, that's really what came to my mind more than anything else. And I'm not really a person that gets homesick very much. You know, it's been a little different since I got married. Things change. But especially I remember my first year in China teaching. Um, I didn't really miss home that much. I really liked living there. It was fun. It was exciting. I didn't really miss home very much. But when I came home, it was different than I thought because it was so good being home. Why? Because it was a place that I belonged. I, I was not different. You know, like going around trying to make my way in a completely different country and society. It was a place where I belonged. And it was a place where I was known. Where I was just some random, really tall white guy over there. I come back and people know me. It's a place where I belong and it's where I am known. And that's heaven. That's the future of what we're looking forward to. Being clothed in this heavenly dwelling. Having this mortal stuff that's wasting away. Be swallowed up by life. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what we're waiting for. That's the hope. And, you know, like, like I said, I didn't really get homesick. Can you imagine what it's like for someone who is homesick? You know, there are, there are people that go on our team to China for a year, and they get really homesick. What is it like for that person when they return? <laughs> you know, the experience is so much greater. Now, shift that now to our true home. Heaven is our home. It says, for we know the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Living like we're homesick. That's essentially what it is. And, and it, this passage says when we are groaning, when we are, are wanting this stuff to be done and this suffering just to be over, we're really longing for home. A place where it's right, where things aren't messed up, where we're known and where we are loved and, and we know that. And that's home. Um, and, and that's really we have you know the past when God switched on our hearts 
that made that change in our lives. So now we see things differently. The present, where it happened, bad things happened to us, but we have this treasure, this, this glory in us, and then the future of home that we long for and homesickness. So, point four, I guess, you know, if we have past, present, future, is some application. How do we live because of this? And this is going back to my most recent one, where I talked about martyrdom. You know, again, a lot of times I think we think of martyrs, people who die for the faith, like, oh, those are the really homesick ones, you know, they'll give anything. But I said, martyrdom is just an extension for, for a couple, a very small amount of people of what we are all living, what we all should be living, a faithful life. Um, you know, there's this saying that I think is t- total junk, which <coughs> says, um, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I actually had someone tell me that once when I was in high school, <laughs> and I kind of considered it a compliment, but um, because I think it really doesn't make sense because I've never really met someone who has so had their mind so much on heaven that they just didn't do anything. In fact, it's usually the opposite. How many of us are so earthly-minded we're of no heavenly good? <laughs> Seriously, we have so much of our mind here that we, d- we just fail to do anything that lasts. I think that's what we struggle with more than anything else. And so, application one, be heavenly minded. Long for home. Be homesick. Um, and this, this is, I mean, this is really all of the application. And um, there's I just, a, th- a couple different things that I think about when I, I think about this whole issue. And um, there is a, a really funny... I think, Christian blog called Stuff Christians Like and this book and one of the first things in there is um, this, this little section and it, it's called Ranking Honeymoon Sex Slightly Higher Than the Second Coming of Christ and what he's talking about is that there's so many of us who were like Jesus, Jesus come again but just make sure that I'm married first because that, we, we like want to make this deal you can come again Jesus but I want to graduate high school first Okay? Right? Like, we all want to make these deals. Like, you can come. It's okay, but I just wait until next week because I want to do this first. And this is, I think, one of the the ways that we don't live with homesickness. We don't really long for it more than anything else. And it's putting that ahead of that, saying, I do want that more than anything else. And can you create that in yourself? No. It's about knowing Jesus, knowing Him, loving Him. And that's what makes you want it. You can't just create the bubble up, oh, feelings of goodness for the second coming of Jesus. It doesn't happen that way. It's by knowing him and loving him. When I want to come home to Rachel, it's not because I said to myself, okay, I need to feel love for Rachel now. Yes, okay. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. It's because I have invested time in knowing her. I've invested time in loving her, in prioritizing her, in doing all those things. And it's that way in a family. It's that way in a relationship. It's all about that time. It's all about the priority. And that's, you can't just bubble up those feelings of love. You invest, and that's how it happens. You don't just say, okay, I'm going to do this now, and then not change anything in your life and expect your feelings to change. Um, and I think the other thing that relates to it is... Um, Really, just death. You know, uh, my grandpa died recently. Uh, both of them, actually. And funerals, you know, they're just so sad. And as Christians, I just don't understand that. 
I, I really don't. We've made it all about us and not about them. And not about Jesus. Um, and I would just love to hear you know, someone say, you know, uh, you know, my uncle died. And you're like, wow, how great for him. But that's, he's not in pain anymore. And we say that, but it's kind of like this, you know, this will make you feel better. But really, like, prioritizing, thinking about it the way we should, it is godly sorrow, is what the Bible calls it. That we, you know, we, we can grieve, and it's sad that they're gone, but it's so much greater for them. And this is, you know, this is just another application, looking toward home. What does that mean if we truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead? We truly believe all this stuff, and we have been switched on. How does it change us? And the last thing um, really comes in this last verse, um, chapter 5, verse 9. So all this stuff, you know, we've talked about all this stuff. It says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So what is our goal? You know, I talked about a lot of stuff, and you can come with a lot of applications from this. But Paul, he just brings it down to one point. So we make it our goal to please him. All this stuff, this, this junk we're living through, this hope we have, this groaning, all this stuff. So what do we do because of this? We make it our goal to please Him. What does this mean to you? I've heard it said um, a lot of times, especially like by like a worship leader or something like that. It says when you come in, you just leave, leave your troubles at the door. You just drop all that stuff. Forget all the stuff that's going on in your week and come and worship Jesus with a clean heart. And... That is, it's a total lie. I want you to come when you come here. I want you to come with your trouble and all that stuff you're struggling with and the sin that makes you feel terrible and bring it here and give it to Jesus. I don't want you to leave it at the door. And that's not going to help anyone. And it's not going to bring glory to God. But when you come in and you take it with you and you let Jesus change it and you let him transform it into something great and transform you, that is, that's the gospel. That's the resurrection of Jesus. It's not that we leave that stuff at the door. It's that we bring it. And he loves us anyway. And he changes us. So, I guess in conclusion, what I'm just saying is that we don't have to lie to ourselves or God. And it's so easy to do that. We just want to say, you know, thank you God for my great life and all my blessings. <laughs> we do have most of us great lives and lots of blessings but we're not always happy you know Job when stuff happened to him basically says get off my back God and um, God you know chastises him the way he should but he also you know good things happen to Job I'm not saying you know when you're honest to God all of a sudden all these good things are going to happen to you but when you lie to yourself and you lie to God about what's going on you're not you're not letting that be transformed it's just like this part of your life that you, you brush under there, whether it's sin or it's disappointment or whatever. You just leave that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this for myself so I can come back to it later and wallow in it. Um, and so bring it here. Bring it every day. I'm not saying that even church is like this special place where you bring your troubles here and they magically get transformed. It's about living and walking with Jesus every day and letting him transform those things. So, you know, you don't have that load of things that you feel like you have to leave at the door so you can come here and put on a smile, you know? It's being transformed every day, looking at the world through that. And how, how does this happen? It is only through next week, only through Easter, only through the resurrection that this can ever happen. 
only because he rose again that we can be turned on, that we can have new life. And that's what the Christian life is about. It is a new life. You are new. You're not just um, like has a couple new add-ons, the new paint job or whatever. You're completely new. That's what it says. You have been totally changed and you were dead, dead, and now you are alive. And the temptation for, you know, a preacher or whatever is just to say, now go and be alive. <laughs> and I can't make you be alive. I cannot do anything. And that's the point. And, and you can't either. You were dead. If you're a dead person, can you resuscitate yourself? No. Like, there's nothing you can do. You're dead. Jesus alone can do that miracle of bringing you to life, switching you on. And, and just know him. Pray to him. Prioritize. You know, there's no big secret about this. How can you know and love God? By spending time knowing and loving God. <laughs> How do we know God? Through the face of Jesus. How do we have joy and suffering? Through the face of Jesus. How can we be new? How can we go home? Through the face and the resurrection of Jesus. It's always the answer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are for what you did for your sacrifice and especially this week um, as we think about all those things more often than normal maybe change us we want to know you and God let us not be Palm Sunday people that we worship you and turn against you we want to love you we want to glorify you And God, put it in our hearts to spend the time to do that. And we thank you so much for your resurrection. It is the point of history. It is the event. Put that cross always in our minds. Change our hearts. And and God, we just pray that you would make us homesick. Those of us that know you, we, we pray that you would make us homesick to come home to you, our Father. To be where we belong where you know us, where we are known fully and don't have to be afraid. And God, we pray that you would switch on more people here. People who are here who don't know you, we ask that you would switch them on. They would have new life, that that light would, would come into their hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.